All right. We are back at it after a short hiatus from Cap and Trade. Here we're back on our weekly spaces run. The, today is February. What is it? February February 9th. I had eighth on my I had eighth on my notes. So it's February 9th. This is I think episode 21. We have guests with us Mike Meltzer of Mad Dog Radio and Brandon Scott from 610 Sports Radio. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Not too bad. No complaints. Trying to trying to avoid the, the sinus infection that my son has. Hopefully he won't pass it on to me. Um, That's part of the gig, Cap. That's part <laughs> of the gig. Those are... not on you. They, 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 they crap on you. They spit on you. I got three of them, man. That's part of the job. You know this, man. I know it. I know it. I hear you. It's hilarious, but no. So you know, first uh, before we get going, I just want to say a shout out to uh, to Mike. Congratulations on uh, the top four finish at the the Tulane Pro Football Negotiation Competition this weekend at Tulane. I appreciate that, and thank you, Cap, for your help with uh, preparing my students for that. That was fun. Uh, now, after watching the final online, if if. If you want, and just for those, you can go search. I think it's on YouTube. the The Tulane Pro Football Negotiation Competition. There, they did. They streamed the finals between Villanova and Chapman University. I think, and uh, one side was Green Bay, and one side was Devonte Adams. And so it was. It was very fun to watch. It was a forty-five minute contract negotiation, and it. I mean, I've never been a part of a real life negotiation on a football player contract, but it seemed those two teams really were getting at it and very aggressive on both sides. I think the, uh, I think Tulane kind of set the team objectives, team objectives too hard this year compared to years past. I think they overcompensated for the team, team objectives being too easy in years past. So, but that was fun, and, and congratulations to the UH team. And uh, after seeing it in person a little bit or watching the, the competition, I think I have a better appreciation of what to, to do next year if, if you end up needing some assistance again. Absolutely. And uh, I know we have a lot to get into over the course of the night because there's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, yeah, we'll get right into it. So, you know, I, I, had, I, was all, I was all hyped up yesterday. I had all these notes. I had been making notes all day yesterday as thoughts came across, across my brain after the, the press conference. So, you know, Lovey Smith introduced as the new head coach of the Houston Texans. It was also announced that Pep Hamilton promoted up to offensive coordinator from QB coach. Frank Ross has kept on as sports special teams coordinator. Uh, a lot of a lot of good discussion at this uh, this press conference, especially with Lovey Smith. I mean, he I was I came away impressed just how he handled the the press conference in general. You know, we'll see how things go for as a head coach, but I mean, he was very sincere, very honest, and I really appreciated his insight and thoughts into you know the minority hi- hiring issues that has, that has continued on across the league, especially at head coach. And I'm just you know I'm really looking forward to to him being the head coach this year, I feel like at based on just this initial, how things are being handled, how the team's presenting him, I almost feel like he should have been the coach last year and just given them a one year head start on, you know, on the, on the direction that they're going. And is Lovey Smith the long-term solution? We don't know, but I think he has a better shot at managing 
this rebuild than than David Coley did. I think he has a it you know just based on the on the coaching hires that we're seeing with the offensive line coach hire the uh, assistant O line coach. You know we're start, he's pulling in some familiar faces. So that to me tells me that Lovey Smith is making some of the calls on his staff versus the the rumor that Coley was having his staff decided for him. So I I think that's important to note and. You know, I just I just really enjoyed listening to him. He was very sincere, very honest, you know, but he really projects leadership, in my opinion. And it does that translate to wins and a winning culture? That's to be seen. It's hard to know, but you know, I know Brandon has been talking about this off and on. I know Mike, you were on with uh Paul Gallant the other night and I know both of y'all probably have thoughts, so we'll start with Mike. What are your uh, overall thoughts on, on what we saw the other day? I think your point, Cap, is astute about after watching what's unfolded the last 20, really 36 hours, that Lovey should have been the coach last year. Now, make no mistake about it. I'm not thrilled with the overall situation, and I still have deep reservations about the overall state of the franchise. If I'm going to rank them against everybody else, they seem to kind of exist in their own vacuum. But, like, this situation has miles to go before it's competitive. But compared to what we just experienced – uh, and I thought Sean Pendergast had really framed it well in his uh, piece in the Houston Press when he was like, and no offense to the guy, but he was like, David Culley is somebody who came across like he was somebody who won a contest to be an NFL head coach. And I know Brandon covered the guy, but that's how it always came across to me. Like he just, he, and I'm sure like David's like a smart guy and he's been around football, but he just never, he never struck me as a head coach in any way, shape or form. Sideline demeanor, press conferences, my thoughts on how involved he was or not in game plans, all of that stuff. Lovey Smith struck a different tone in that when we look at the last two guys, people were angry at Bill O'Brien's message by the end that he was basically the most hated guy in the city and David Culley never sounded like a head coach, that it was almost refreshing to sit there and say, oh, well, this is somebody who's been involved in football for a long time at a high level. He's been a defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach for a long time. He's led a team to a Super Bowl. Yes, it was a while ago, but he hasn't done that. And Lovey Smith is not only a football professional, he is somebody who is a professional communicator. This Texans organization has a major problem with communicating to the media and communicating to the fans. Lovey Smith understands how to communicate basic things in a way that acknowledges reality. So when he talks about the fans and when he talks about the atmosphere at NRG Stadium not being great uh, this past year, it's like acknowledging reality. He is a, and again, I'm not thrilled with the overall situation. We can get into the, the process and such. Yep, but like, yep. Lovey Smith is a, is a legitimate head coach who is a professional. He is a football professional, and that is what stood out to me on Tuesday. Yeah, I would, I would co-sign everything that you guys said. And just to contrast it again, like just this – introductory press conference uh, introductory sounds I guess a little odd since he was on the staff last year but introductory as the head coach versus last year which to be to be fair was on zoom yeah it was COVID, COVID but yeah exactly but but, but the, the David Cully press conference that was on zoom I remember one of the first things that I said and I can't remember who it was too but it was at the studio at 610 and I said to someone because we all remember like, none of David Culley's press conferences were particularly good, but the first one I felt like was particularly bad, was especially <laughs> bad. And I remember saying to somebody, because he was still, you know, to us, 
been in the league a long time, but to us was a relatively unknown. Like uh, most people, you know, most fans and even media, when we found out that he was even a candidate, were like, who's that? You know, had to go research the guy. I know personally, I'd never heard of him. And so, uh, so, so to be fair, I didn't know what kind of coach he was, good or bad, right? And so I hear him talk for the first time, you know, talk to us for the first time. And I just remember going to somebody in the hallway and saying, man, I hope he can coach, <laughs> you know, because yeah. like because he damn sure couldn't communicate. Speaking to Melson's point just a moment ago, Lovey being a professional communicator as opposed to what you had. I mean, you had a guy and I know that that wasn't like the main thing, like necessarily like how you communicate with the public. Like if you're bad in press conferences, but you're a good coach, I think most fans and most people would, you know, accept that. And so that was kind of my thought process before we ever saw him coach, but we'd heard, heard him talk several times at that point. It's like, man, I hope I hope this this doesn't translate to to the coaching that we see. I hope the coaching is much better than the talking and the communicating. I I, I could live with that. And then and then it wasn't. You know, the 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 coaching was just as bad as the as the talking, or at least it felt that way. Um, and then you also have to account for the fact that they didn't have very good players on top of that. But I just remember feeling that way of like a little bit of helplessness last year of like this guy doesn't this doesn't seem legitimate. Like it didn't sound legitimate when they when we heard about it. And it doesn't seem that way now after hearing him talk. So you completely contrast that to to Lovey Smith. And obviously this press conference was in person, but before it or after it there was never a point where i was like having to look at anybody and say oh man i hope he can coach you know like re- regardless of how he communicated which which he did well which again to be honest with you like i wasn't that impressed because i didn't expect anything less from lovey smith you know like we've all followed the game for long enough we know who lovey smith is like like we there are receipts you know in literature and and whatever else you want to find that you can do all the research and you know Lovey Smith, it's out there. So there was no mystery there. And, and what we saw and what we heard, I thought was pretty consistent with what you would probably expect from Lovey Smith. And so going back to Cass' point earlier, Troy, you were, I mean, you were mentioning earlier, like, it, I feel like this, he's probably should have been the head coach last year. You think? <laughs> I mean, you look around at this staff and there were at least three coaches on the staff that I thought that I'd heard of, you know, like Mm -hmm. between Lovey Smith, James Campen, and Pep Hamilton, I thought, and Tim Kelly aside here, obviously he was on the stand, anybody else who was on the staff, Bobby King and all those guys, but like the the coaches that they brought in, Lovey Smith, Pep Hamilton, and James Campen, and I'm not saying that James Campen should have been the coach or anything, but these were all guys that we had heard of and heard people talk about before, and somehow David Cully, who we hadn't, was the head coach, and then he, you bring him out there to talk to us, and this is this is what he sounds like. Like it, it was, it was baffling. I never understood it, and I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to uh, explain that to me. How it was, and that's what was sort of the mixed feeling about the whole thing. It was like some relief that yeah, it seems like this process was was wacky, and that they probably arrived at the best option that they, or, or at least one of the best options that they had available to them versus what it seemed like they were going to do. And then on the other end, you're like, man, we sure did seem to waste a whole lot of time over this past year. Like, we wasted time, like all of our time. 
Um, like, I don't know what that was about, 2021. Um, I, I think it'll go down as um, not the off-the-field headlines, obviously. I'm talking about strictly football-wise. It'll go down as one of the more uneventful. Obviously, they only won four games, but it will be one of the uh, more uneventful seasons in franchise history, like just nondescript and, and unremarkable um, and, and also confusing because, like, what were we doing with David Cully as the head coach while we've got – you know, Lovey Smith's in the building. Romeo Cornell's in the building. Uh, Pep Hamilton's over there coaching the quarterback. And, and, and we've got David Cully and Tim Kelly as our head coach and play caller. Like, it was really odd. Yeah. The, and you brought up the process, and that was kind of where I wanted to dive into next. I mean, it was a great – I mean, I, like I said, we're, I'm excited for Lovey as the coach. I just hate how the team arrived at that decision. And – the team can say all that they want to say, and I think we all will say under our breath how they probably came to this decision, you know, with, with the timing of the lawsuit and how things dramatically changed in the course of 48 hours over the weekend. It, it's just hard not to look past those things, and and I don't want to take away from Lovey Smith, and that's not my intention with this, but, you know, the chatter during the Senior Bowl week from people I talked to that were out there both here from Houston and a few folks from outside of Houston, the chatter was Gannon was walking around full of confidence that he was lining up for the job with Houston. And so, that, so, uh, so hang on cap. So, so what, cause I don't think a lot of people talk about the Gannon part more than the count. So what, what happened with Gannon? I've heard two, I've heard two different versions and, I've, the ver- the one that I probably trust more than anything, and this came from somebody who's at Senior Bowl who works up on the East Coast, that Gannon got frustrated with Houston dragging their feet and not making a decision, and then come Friday he said, all right, I'm out. I, if you're not going to make up your mind on what you want to do. Because uh, the same person hinted at – it was like a tandem hire between McCown with McCown and Gannon. At what roles they were going to have, I, that wasn't told to me. But it sounded like they were trying to get both of them on board together. And Gannon, whatever happened, he just said, "No, I'm 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 done with this. I'm backing out." I don't think he was told that he was out of the running. I think he told them he was out of the running, and that kind of coincides with I don't know if y'all saw. Uh, ben Albright's tweet about this is the second year in a row that the Texans have been given an ultimatum from one of their candidates. Yep. And I and I strictly think that that was a Gannon tweet. That aligns well with what I was told. Now, whether this is true or not, we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. But I heard any of that, so that's very interesting. But that's just my. I don't think Flores was. I think Flores even before the lawsuit. I think Flores was out of. Out of the running. He was finalist. He was considered a finalist, I but but I I think he was out of the running early. I don't think he was in it towards the end. And so I think they were ready to go Gannon and McCown, and whether the league stepped in or not, I don't – I'm not going to speculate on that. But, you know, the process, it was a very bad process. I mean, they ultimately ended up with, with a good – in a good spot it's just very poor how they got there and i'm hoping whatever whatever decisions were made over the weekend i hope the team will learn from it and 
try to not put themselves in that same position going forward, you know, whether it's in three years or five years or whatever. So, I mean, if y'all have any thoughts on the process, you know, be happy to hear them, but that's mine. <laughs> I mean, I, I think my, my biggest takeaways, and I said this when I was on Sirius XM on Monday night after the hire was made was I think the Texans would have hired Josh McCown if not for the timing of the Flores lawsuit. Uh, now, the Gannon thing that Cap mentioned obviously kind of throws a twist into it, but I do I do firmly believe that they ended up with Lovey as a compromised candidate because of the timing of the Flores lawsuit. And, and so I think now that is interesting because it kind of circles back to something we were discussing in the last couple of weeks before this hire was made, which is, okay, is Nick Casario going to get a third crack at this? In my viewpoints, and obviously this is like a, a long time horizon, but I think with Lovey, depending on how things work out, I'm going to go under the impression here that Nick Casario would actually have a third crack at hiring a head coach. I don't know where you guys stand on that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, go, we'll get that. Go ahead, Brandon. I was just going to say that I'm. Uh, that is still one of the more fascinating questions to me, Mike, to, to, just to speak to the point you just brought up about does he get another crack at, at a third head coach? Nothing about what they do is, like, uh, conventional or, like, necessarily rational to your, like, previous understanding of how the world works, right? So, like, yep. I, I, I do not have a grasp for, maybe, Cap, you do, I, I have no grasp for, like, what they're evaluated by, if they, like, how, I don't even know how to go about that. I don't even know how to go about answering that question. I have no idea uh, based off of our just, just no no understanding of what the accountability factors are there like how it, how it works i have no idea so that, to me that that is going to be sort of the more fascinating question as someone who roots for the team like deep down i do kind of hope that it just doesn't come to that that lovey's good and that we never actually find out the answer to that you know admittedly fascinating question so that that's kind of just where, where i'm at on that as far as the process real quick uh before we get to something else or before you open it up to to all of the listeners in here and, and you know we obviously appreciate everybody for being here with us um, I am less upset about the the as far as like the process is concerned, which we all think was flawed. I'm less upset about the part of it being the lawsuit that made them pivot as I am about what they pivoted from and what the process was before that. Like, I know a lot of people are or there are at least some people who look at it like, oh, that's kind of flaky for for you to just pivot like that and not you know stick with your guns or your convictions of what you wanted to do just because of maybe the public pressure and the image of this lawsuit when do you when did all of a sudden you start caring about that you've done a bunch of stuff that didn't seem to to you know cater to that at all um but at the same time like i was i found it much more concerning that they were gonna that they were gonna hire josh mccown or at least it seemed like they were that they did think that that was a good idea and so, and so the process that led up to it, not the result, again, I'm fine with the result, and, and I'm less concerned with the perceived uh, response to, to Brian Flores' lawsuit. Like, I actually kind of get it. And if anything, I would hope that, you know, and, and I don't necessarily believe this, but I would hope that Brian Flores' lawsuit made every team and, and, and everyone who's in a position of power in, a, in the NFL to do some genuine and true introspection and and give some thought process to to what what it is that they do uh or how it is they go about hiring uh candidates and whatever their own individual and collective roles might be 
in in this problem that we have. Like, like I hope that that serious reckoning happened. I'm skeptical about it, but I, I hope it did. Quite honestly, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing if they if they just had a like, oh, Eureka! All of a sudden, oh, you know what? This is kind of jacked up. The idea of of hiring of firing a black coach and then hiring a uh, a, a white less qualified coach over over others uh, in this climate, like regardless of the Brian Flores lawsuit, would have looked bad. And and, and just, I mean, I, that is the part to me that was most concerning. And, and if anything, I'm relieved that that wasn't the end result that, you know, for whatever reasons, they didn't, you know, arrive at that place. Uh, but it, it bothers me that they were, you know, going to, or it seems like they seemed like they were going to. I think Nick Casario gave us a little bit of insight into, like, a little bit when he talked to Seth and Sean, Seth, uh, Seth Payne and Sean Pendergast on the morning show uh, at 610 when he said, you know, admittedly, or or I think the, the more exact language was was that uh, this process, we, we didn't put a time limit on it, but this process probably fairly or unfairly took, uh, took longer than people wanted to or expected it to. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's an exact admission that that they took a little bit longer than they meant to, um, but it just seemed really harebrained and and and, and haphazard. Um, and that's not to say that they didn't give it enough thought. I think that that they that they did and that they came to the wrong conclusions for the most part um, until the until the very end there, where, where they actually hired Lovey Smith. So, uh, so no, I did not like the process. And just going back to a point that I made earlier about Lovey Smith, I thought that going into that press conference, the and that whole like setup that they had for the media, there was a whole like deal there, uh, off camera where we kind of mingled a little bit before the press conference, mm-hmm. and 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 all of it I thought was, you know, the 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 only person that I don't need to be sold on, in this whole equation here is Lovey Smith himself. It's all of the people again who, who are above him and who hired him. It's it's the Cal McNair, the Jack Easterby, Nick Casario trio that I still needed to be sold on and still need to be sold on, and I feel like are the ones that still need to prove themselves in all of this. Not Lovey Smith. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, just to to cap off on the process, you know, I think when you compare it to some of the other teams that were doing their searches, whether it was for head coaches or GMs they were very transparent about the interviews that, that they completed. And, you know, we heard Casario say, you know, we interviewed six or seven individuals, but I had multiple discussions on different levels with 10 or 12 people. Well, why not announce that? Why not announce that, you know, we had a, even if you want to call it an interview or like they were doing additional discussions with different people, but I, it, just a little more transparency would have been nice throughout the process. To, to that, I'm glad you said that because I, I had a uh, I had a question for Nick Casario that I didn't get to ask. I'd raise my hand, but it would have been my second time, and I think only maybe John McClain got a second question in. But the question that I was going to ask him, or at least one of them that was in my head, and I think you kind of just answered it, Cap, but I'd love to kind of just bounce it, bounce it back to you, was I would have said, hey, Nick, do you wish you would have been have been do you wish you would have been more transparent or less transparent about the hiring process? Like would it would it have been better to have not announced and just let whatever leak leak and whatever reports be out there or whatever? But would it have been better on them to not announce 
all of the candidates or to announce them all. Like, I feel like one of the one or the other, like what you're saying, why not announce that or go the complete opposite direction and just don't announce none of them. And that would have felt better than, yeah, you know, there were six quote unquote finalists, but I really talked to 15 guys or 12, you know, a dozen guys. It's like, well, I mean, that's not what you said, you know, um, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it also would have made it look less silly if it wasn't announced by the team that and I, I don't think they ever actually called them finalists themselves, but they the way they worded it was we've had additional discussions or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's what we all knew that. To, we all understood that to mean they were finalists. Yeah. So so why announce finalists, you know, in, in a situation like this? Would, it, would you have been better off not having known finalists, public finalists out there, only for you to go to somebody that not only was not one of them, but was also somebody that's all, that you already know, <laughs> that's already on your staff? You know, like that, that looks goofy. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, pretty much aligns with my thought, I think. And I I would lean more towards the transparency piece of it just because of their past, you know, two or three years of how they have managed communication to the fans, to the media, and how they've always been trying to be be very picky and choosy on what's released and what's leaked out and, you know, we it's very clear that Casario can give two flips about what perception is out there from the media, and, and he's going to keep everything pretty tight-lipped. And if that's the way they, they run it, that's fine. But for me, as my own personal opinion, I would just appreciate the transparency. And I'm not looking for anything special, just a statement. So we interviewed this person today, and we interviewed this person today, and, and be clear with it. And... And that way everybody knows where everything stands, or at least the fans have an idea of what the process looks like versus leaking out who they may have talked to, who they didn't talk to, who they had additional discussions with, that whole thing. It just, I don't know, it seemed weird wording to to use the additional discussion line. I've never really heard that before. (laughs) So, But uh, I see we got one request in. We'll We'll get to that in just a second. Um. You know, and another thing that I wanted to try to dive on real quick was, you know, Pep Hamilton promoted up as OC, you know, and I I think we're all very, very glad to move on from the Tim Kelly experiment. I think, I think all the fans, I think everybody is excited for what Pep can potentially bring to this offense. You know, the work that he's already put in with Davis Mills when he was a quarterback coach and what kind of offense, what type of scheme he's going to bring in versus what was already out there, you know, with the deep shots and a little more power running scheme. But I think it's also going to be very dependent on the new uh, O-line coach, George Warhop, and the personnel that they bring in at the offensive line group as well, whether they keep Tunsil around, all that we could dig into. But just Pep as an OC, I think, is on multiple levels, I think it's a, a, a solid promotion in that I think if Lovey decides that he wanted to retire in two or three years and, and things are, and this is all assuming that the team continues on with progressing in the right direction and things just don't go sideways. But if they continue to, you know, win more games year over year, then maybe Pep is kind of a head coach in waiting, you know, and that creates that pipeline of coaching that you, you want to see out of an organization and not just having to continually turnover the coaching staff year over year over year. You want to 
see that progression. You want to see that cultivation from within. And if that means people hiring out to other jobs, other head coaching jobs out of your system, to me that, that, that allows you to hire more qualified coaches knowing that you're cultivating a pipeline of coaches up, up through your system. So to me, I think Pep Hamilton could potentially be the first step of that long, that long process to just as an organizational view, not just the roster, but coaching staff cultivation, I think is a very important piece that this organization needs to drive and really dig into to try to build that just to give the, 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 the the strong view of the organization as a whole, not just what they can build on the roster, but what they can build on the coaching staff too. Well, just sticking with 2022 and what it's going to look like, one easy sell for the Texans is when you look at it, there's an argument that they made an easy upgraded head coach and, and that they upgraded offensive coordinator with Lovey and then Pep Hamilton. Um, you know, Pep is a very impressive guy. When, I, when you hear him on In the Loop on Tuesday, like he just comes across super, super well. Uh, you hear him and you're like, okay, this is somebody who sounds, you know, kind of like Lovey in a way. Like, this guy sounds like a professional offensive NFL coach. So that's nice to hear. Um, I do have – and I think the, the tangible good thing is you have a second-year quarterback who, you know, most likely is going to start next year in Davis Mills. There's continuity there. A lot of these young quarterbacks, they have issues where there's constant change in their first couple of years. So while there's a change in OC, you have that continuity with, with Pep Hamilton. So I think that's a positive. I do think if you're looking at this objectively, uh, Pep's offensive coordinator resume, I would say, is kind of mixed when we look at Indianapolis and then the stint at Michigan for a couple of years as well. Um, but he's 47. Uh, I think it's it's I, it, I think this could be an upgrade. I think it's worth a shot. He seems like he's got a, a pretty solid upside. You know, with offensive football, like in, in where the NFL is now, like you can only make chicken salad out of, out of so much. Like they need to add way more talent across the board. Uh, they got to get some legitimate young running backs in here. They have to upgrade at receiver. Uh, it's not going to be a good offense because that would be basically impossible just at, at the stage of rebuilding they're in. Uh, but for Pep Hamilton to really succeed, uh, they need to bolster the talent tremendously. Because I know the fans are optimistic about the, about the Pep thing, but like you're starting a quarterback in Davis Mills who like, if we just did a draft of NFL starters in 2022, like that dude's probably going to be the bottom three. Even if we have optimism over Davis Mills, uh, the other guys that you have on your offense probably would go pretty low in a, in a draft of all offensive players. So that's asking a lot of an offensive coordinator, even if we all like Pep Hamilton and feel like there's a lot of upside there. No, and that's that's fair. I mean, it, I think just just having him in here just gives a little excitement. But your, your point is well taken that the roster – is still very depleted, especially on the offensive side. I mean, they were 30, 32nd, the last-ranked offense on multiple metrics. And so he's got anywhere to go but up at this point. So, I mean, to me, it feels like a win if you could just get into a top 20, top 15 type of offense at this point and just show growth, show progression, and not be the up-and-down week-to-week team that we saw last year. And so hopefully Mills will continue his progression. You know, he he may turn into something. He may, may his peak may be Kirk Cousins. Who knows? But I just I just want to see growth. I want to see progression. And at this point, I think I don't think that's a lot to ask of, provided the roster is built appropriately for him to work with. Because what he had 
compared to, I mean, what he already has on, on the roster now and compared to last year, I mean, it's, it's got to improve there. You can, you can throw a dart at the, at the whole roster and, and know that there's a place where you need to improve upon. I mean, they have so many, so many holes to, to fill to whether it's depth and find frontline talent, they're going to have, they're going to have more ways to do that this year as compared to last year. And we all know that, but at the end of the day, it, it that's part of showing that progression is putting in the appropriate talent on that side of the ball. Yeah. I, I was more interested in the offensive coordinator hire than I was the head coaching hire personally. You know, I, I understand, you know, obviously the head coaching hire is bigger and is the more newsworthy event. Like I get that part, but just like personal interest for me was that was the offensive coordinator hire. And really more than anything, it's because of some of the things that you guys have, have mentioned. Like I'm just tired of watching this offense. Like I'm over it. And and I wanted something different. I wanted something new. Um, I, I was gonna say, could it get any worse? Yeah, sure. They weren't always like, like they were. The, they were worse last year and, and next to worse in a lot of metrics last year. But it was just always. It was never better than mediocre. And it and at times it was bad. Most times it was bad. And the best it ever was, you know, is, is, at least in terms of DVOA. I'm pretty sure since 2014, the highest they ranked in DVOA was was 2020 you know the the last uh the, the deshaun watson the last deshaun watson year and when he led the league and passing or whatever and all of that like they were somewhere i want to say i'm not looking at it right now but i feel like it was somewhere around 13th in dvoa i, I might be wrong but somewhere around there and that's a, like as as good as it's gotten here and, and that's by the way brandon with the with the 32nd ranked uh run run offense in dvoa oh, that's how good the passing game was ex- oh that's a great point that's a great point the and, and then they and then they repeated that okay the, the the points you just made mike about the run game i'm pretty yep. sure they were 32nd again they were what cap was listing you know I think they were overall probably 30th and then definitely definitely 32nd and run it. So that's back-to-back years where you have the least efficient running game in the entire NFL, which to me is just inexcusable or, or at the very least unacceptable. And so getting back to the point of Pep Hamilton, okay, and, and I already articulated that that to me was the biggest thing. Like, who's going to be the offensive coordinator? What's the offense going to look like? Now that we have an offensive coordinator in here who we have a bit of a track record for and have a little bit of an understanding for, some history on, I'm looking at it now like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that he's a good play caller, but if we're going to do this, like what you mentioned, Cap, if they're going to do this power run game and try to take some deeper shots downfield and things like that, they're going to have to fix this offensive line, man. They've been trying to, They've been trying to sell us on this offensive line for, you know, at least the last three years. I remember... I think it was 2020 when they tried to sell us on, hey, this is the first time in a decade that they're returning all five starters on the offensive line. But but tucked away inside of that was, you know, two of those, the guards in that are Max Sharping and, and Zach Fulton. You know, um, the center in that is the wrong Martin brother. You know, so like, so you had that going on, and now you fast forward to now, and they still have issues at guard like they they've got to upgrade at those positions both on on the left and right side I feel like significantly um and and, you know one of the 
tragedies of the of the, like football tragedies of the season to me was moving Titus Howard from tackle to guard um, and, and and feeling like that was the solution to that problem. So as far as Pip Hamilton goes, I feel like he needs a little a few more tools to work with. Speaking to y'all's points earlier, I just echo that and say that uh, if he gets those tools, I'm very excited and interested to see what that looks like. And at the very least, it, it won't look like what we've been looking at since 2014. All right. We'll jump over to some questions here. I hit a few of my hit already a few of my main talking points. So we'll go with uh, trust the plan. Then we'll hit Ryan, and then we'll hit Chuck. Let's see here. Trust the plan. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, Texans Cap? Appreciate you for having me, man. Yes, sir. What you got? Hey, so first off, about Lovey, man, I listened to his press conference, man. He really sounded sincere, and he, like, really, like, wants this team to win. I mean, he's not here just to bullshit us for one or two years. Like, I could I could see that he really wants to, to do something great for the city. Um, as far as when I was listening about uh, Pep's offense, like, he hits it right on the – you could throw a dart and everything we – you know, specific needs we need, Texas Cap, is, like – offensive line because you know pep pep had runs a specific offense like i mean i don't know if you watched the michigan offense how he ran it they were really run heavy and they like to do play action it, it wasn't like more like i wouldn't say west coast but i could also say it was similar in a way yeah do you have a question in there or just one that was the point you wanted to raise yeah well my question is like do, do you think this is another bridge coach? Because I just don't feel like it's a bridge coach. But I feel that he didn't want to pull the trigger because of the whole entire lawsuit. But I also understand that with the Flores situation, he ran a 3-4. And, you know, we're running a 4-3. So we would have to change. Our, we didn't have the personnel to do this, you know. So if we even hire Flores, I, I don't see how, you know, we could really change this defense. We would have to change the whole entire personnel. A lot of people would be gone, you know. I feel that Lovey was a real smart move, but I'm curious to know if you think this is actually really a bridge coach or if you actually think this guy could actually lead us to a possible AFC championship at some point. So, you know, t- talking about the defensive side, so luckily majority of the defenses are, are was free agents. So it would have been fairly easy to, to flip around the personnel. Um, you know, I, I don't think – I think that was partly why – Casario did a series of one-year contracts last year because it was unknown what what direction, and he even said it himself. He he didn't truly know the Tampa two four three system all that well, and he learned about it throughout the season working with Lovey Smith. So you know, hopefully, they can have a little better vision on what what type of players they need on the def- defensive side this year for twenty twenty two. But as for if is Lovey a bridge coach? I, I think at a minimum, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's okay to say that. I think there's more optimism to him for him to be more than a bridge coach versus David Culley. I mean, it, Lovey could very well be two years and it didn't work out, and they do a whole new reshuffle. But I think there's a chance that he can build build upon create a foundation and build and ha- and create something to build upon and what that long-term vision looks like and who runs it. That's, that's to be seen. And that's where I was talking about cultivating that pipeline of coaching that I think 
Lovey has the has the chance to do here, and I think that would give the organization a chance to two or three years down the road to be. How, how, how much of a leash do you think that Nick actually has, though? Because I mean, this is his second coach, but to be granted, I mean, David Cole, I just don't see that as his first coach selection. I don't feel like that really was his selection. I feel that he was really he didn't have much to choose. So I'm curious how much of a leash you think this guy might actually have cuz if this happens we're going to be on our third coach. Yeah, that's a fair that's that's a fair question and not many GMs get a third third head coach hire. And I think it's safe to say that that is a complete unknown. Cal McNair is a complete unknown with how he would view that if in say 2 years the Lovey Smith experiment does does not work. The team wins four or five games each year the next two years, and they say no more. We got to make a change. It is, in my opinion, is literally a coin toss whether or not Cal would give Casario another shot or would just clean house. It, he's kind of unpredictable, in my opinion, on that. Brandon or Mike, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I view Lovey as I do view Lovey as a bridge coach, just because of uh, of the process and, and what kind of led us here. I mean, put it this way: like if he's not a bridge coach, it means that they would have had some kind of real success the next couple of years. So that means quarterback, right? Like you're you're not going to get to nine or ten wins in this AFC unless you're getting at least average quarterback play, in my opinion. So that means either Davis Mills has really panned out, or they found somebody else either in the draft or somehow trade free agency to make that happen so because of that timeline and just where the roster is where they need to build this up significantly i'm going to say yes he ends up as a bridge coach but it's certainly a far superior option to david cully yeah to me everything about this is bridge the whole team is bridge you know i mean until until proven otherwise like this is just the whole bridge experiment i mean one of the criticisms that i think is valid about this whole this whole process or this whole you know let's just just call it this last 13 months or so uh, I, I don't know John Lopez was one of the people to say this on on in the loop and I've heard others say it and I kind of feel this way too is that you don't feel like the rebuild really started until just now until until just Tuesday you know uh, or it, it, it it feels that way so like it's hard to reckon that that feeling with well you know lovey's not a bridge coach you know it, it feels like everything is a is a bridge until we get there. Um, and so that's just kind of how I view it, you know, like, like let's just kind of roll up, you know, just get the ball out there and see and, and, and kind of go from there as far as like, I, I made this point earlier about us just not knowing what exactly these guys are being evaluated by. We know, we know that the coaches can, can be one and done and can be gone in a couple of years if they don't get it done. But like the powers to be management, like uh, I, I would just co-sign cap there on, it being a coin flip because I mean we literally have no idea like what their what their accountability system is what their evaluation metric looks like. All right, you got anything That's else, man? Before we jump over to somebody else. Yeah, last thing about the Jack Easterby situation. So if Nick would be gone, you think that Jack Easterby is about to head the door as well, or you think he's actually going to get just chill with Cal and probably get another Patriots GM for all we know? <laughs> that is that is the biggest question. question that is and, a hey, can y'all repeat knowing. it? Can nobody. y'all repeat it? Because like I, I want to admit here, I have trouble hearing the questions for some reason. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, you do that every time it? on Spaces. You you have trouble. You, you're fine. No, my my question is is that 
Yeah. Repeat it for me, though. What did you say? No, I said that if Nick Casario, not, not, not him, one of one of you guys, one of the hosts. He 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 said if if Casario was let go and and say two years from now, would Easterby still be here or would he be gone too? Ugh. Wow. Yeah. I, well, I'd have to agree with you guys. That is a great question. You do not know the answer. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Trust the plan. We'll uh, we'll jump over. See, we had Ryan lined up next. Ryan, what's going on, my man? How's it going, guys? So this might skew a little more towards Mike, but my question's a little bit on the Deshaun legal front. Okay. Um, I I may be wrong, but I've kind of always gone on the opinion that, not to minimize the allegations or anything, but that if the criminal aspect of it was settled, that there was no charges, that teams could kind of, you know, have him on the team with just the civil litigation. And my question was, I remember a report saying that they were going to bring everything to the grand jury sometime in January, and obviously that maybe hasn't happened yet. Um, where do you think things stand with that right now, Mike? And kind of are we just waiting for depositions? And that's pretty much where we're at. It's a great question. There was a report that there was going to be a, uh, a grand jury that was you know, convened in January. Uh, I believe Amy Dash reported that, and there's been nothing on that front. And I will point out the grand jury process is supposed to be a secret process. So I, th I think it's really in, in wait and see mode. Like I think Deshaun's deposition technically is what, in like a couple of weeks or something like that. Uh, there have been depositions ongoing as well. And I, I think we're just kind of waiting until, you know, people always talk about deadline spur action. I, I was kind of wondering today uh, not to go you did not lines, use, You did not use an Andrew Brandt quote on here, did you? I, I, who also annoys me, by the I way. I know. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, he, he's like an enemy, a frenemy of mine. Uh, yeah, more of an enemy than a friend. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I was I was sitting there at work today thinking to myself, after watching that heartwarming video between Mike McDaniel and uh, Tua Tungavailoa, I don't know that the athlete's first agency has done a good job in representing Deshaun Watson. Uh, and I realize that sometimes you can't really control what your client does. But it just seems like his name is like so far out of the spotlight that it's candidly making me nervous about whatever return the Texans might get. But the hard thing about, you know, drawing it back to the, uh, to the settlement part, you have 22 cases. Everybody knows this. So you have to have, you know, 22 uh, alleged victims all agree to whatever the settlement terms are. I know there's a report that 18 of them would have agreed a couple of months ago. Uh, and if that happens, you know, it still doesn't necessarily eliminate the criminal possibility just because we know that there were uh, some women who came forward and spoke to the police who were not represented by Tony Busby nor part of those lawsuits. Um, it is interesting to, to try to discern, like, which teams would be willing to trade for Watson if the lawsuits are still not completely settled or maybe, like, most of them are. Carolina, to me, is a team that stands out. Maybe we'll get more of a sense of this in the next couple of months because it definitely seems like it is all quiet on the Watson front. Yes, it's all quiet everywhere. I mean, that that there's there was absolutely zero acknowledgement of him even being on this roster during the press conference, during the radio hits, yep. during Pep talking or Lovey talking about the roster and the quarterback room, and so uh, the team has definitely moving on, moved on from him. It's just at this point we got to wait for the process to line out, and I think. Like you said, the deposition for Watson himself starts on the 24th-ish, somewhere around there. I'm still not convinced that he wants to go through that. But 
maybe he wants to try to tell his side of the story. So, Ryan, hopefully, that, I know we weren't able to really do- answer your question, but hopefully that. I, I, I've got a, hey, real quick, yeah. I've got a question kind of for Mike, though, because, mm-hmm. and, and this is not to be at all insensitive to the seriousness of the allegations, like if these things actually happen and if they're true. But but just on the kind of the legal front and just the sort of the particulars here, am I wrong, Mike, you tell me, and Cap, you too, am I wrong for feeling like once it once it became like knowledge or at least was reported that the criminal side of this was more than likely not going to result in anything higher than a misdemeanor, that that for me, the criminal element of it kind of became far less of a of a factor, like far less of a, of a thing. And, you know, it just depends for me, like how how whoever, like whatever the team is, whatever the owner is, how they view the whole situation in its entirety, since he's not going to be like he's not going to even be, you know, be charged with a felony more than likely. Am I like am I wrong? Am I off base with that? Well, I think it depends on a is that report, which I guess a lot of us have seen. Is that true? Um, because this criminal stuff can, can linger up for a long time. Like they're not, they're not necessarily tied to a, a timetable. Like I, I see that Steph Stradley is in here. I know that, you know, she deals with that at her firm a lot. Like that, those, those criminal investigations, they can just kind of like linger for a while. Um, I do, this is just my, my own personal two cents. I know some may disagree. I do kind of think in my sort of gut that, and this can be totally wrong, but like, the longer this has gone on since the, the first case dropped uh, only 11 months ago, and then we had sort of that feeding frenzy of accusers suing Deshaun, that I do kind of think that if there was going to be something serious on the criminal front, that something would have happened by now. But again, that's just kind of my, that's kind of my personal gut feeling on it. That's not necessarily true from a pure legal standpoint. And my viewpoint on that is from the team perspective, the fact that they're willing to wait this long to try to garner as much compensation return in a trade as they can leads me to believe that they have a certain level of confidence in the lack of the lack or the severity of any potential criminal charges. Just my opinion. Ryan, you got anything else, man? No, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, buddy. All right. We're going to jump over to Mr. Chuck. Ferris, I see you in line. Neil, Taylor, we'll get to you guys. Got a lot of questions tonight, which is fantastic. We'll get Chuck in here. Hopefully he'll... Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, uh, just a quick comment and then a question, uh, Cap, about Tunsil and uh, with Lovey Smith. And I, I, I really am kind of I'm, – I'm just really on the fence about why we're not talking more about how much staying power Nick Casero is going to end up having over Jack Easterby because I really do not believe that – and, of course, as the unofficial Nick Casero president, fan club president here, I really don't believe that – that Easterby had any say in organizing uh, the support team of Levy Smith and Pep Hamilton last year. I can't imagine Jack Easterby walking into uh, into the McNair's office and saying, hey, here's these two guys we need to have on the staff with Coley. That being said, I think um, he's being crazy as a fox here, and I really can't understand why we're not talking more about – it seems like to me everybody's just saying that Nick is not doing a good job with 
with with the coaching staff or trying to um, backpedal. We don't even know how many people or how many coaches decline interviews. So my, my, my first question is, is why are we talking more about that type of, of issue? Because remember, it was Jack Easterby that went up to go poach Nick Asario on his own or with the or he thought it was a good idea and got caught. And that cost us some um, some uh, some well, some money, some some issues there. And also, I guess the second question, uh, w- that's it for Easterby. But second question is now with with uh, Levy Smith and, and with Pep in there, is there a possibility they may still keep Tunsil? And how would that fit with the cap next year? And what is now your opinion on what you can get for Tunsil at this point? Well, on the Easterby front, I this is probably me just sticking my head in the sand. I, I just – I'm – tired of talking about Easterby. I just, I'm wore out for it. I don't really talk about it anymore. I don't tweet about it anymore. And, and that's just, you know, I don't feel like there's any way for me to, to gain, gain any from, gain anything from it. And if that's a stick my head in the sand approach, then that's just the approach that I'm going to have. So that would be my response to that. As for Tunsil, I, I'm not entirely sure that he fits what Pep would be looking for. In a uh, in an offensive line, especially on the run game, because we we all know that Tunsil's run blocking is less than to be desired from a, a player of his caliber, of his pay scale. As for trade value, I don't think it really changes much from what we've been saying in the past month, month and a half. That you know you're looking at probably a, a second round pick for him. I don't think you'd get a first if you if it was a first. I, I think it would be a future first, which I would be perfectly fine with. But I, I think at this point it's just a you know a, a second round pick and move on. I mean he's unfortunately Casario did a full restructure on his contract, so next year his cap hit is up at at twenty six point one million, and there's sixteen million of dead money in there. So if that trade is done, you know you save save right around nine million dollars in cap in cap savings with a trade, and you know move on. Or I'm sorry, eight million. So, you know, I th- I think there's a very real very real chance that the team does try to make a trade. But if it's one of those things where you make the you can make the trade if the compensation's right, but it's a good fallback to have if you don't get the compensation you're looking for and you keep him on for another year and try to move Howard back to right tackle and run with that duo for 2022. I think that would be perfectly fine. I just not entirely sure that that's what they would want from a, both a cash and cap standpoint. I think that um, the Laramie Tunsil decision is it an exclusively Nick Casario decision. I don't know that for a fact, of course, but I don't think Pep Hamilton or Lovey Smith is going to have much say in what they do with uh, Laramie Tunsil. We shall see. Uh, I think the Nick Casario question is, is a really good one. I, I just, I don't have a great sense for it because I imagine that Nick is signed to a long-term contract He's making a lot of money. He's making more money than all those guys are. And what I am skeptical about is I don't think that Nick Casario spent 20 years working with the Patriots to get a shot at being an NFL general manager, expecting to hire David Culley and Lovey Smith as his first two guys. But I don't know what's going to happen to win loss record wise. I don't know how patient Cal is going to be because, you know, he's been impatient with some guys, um, and it's it just it's hard to read this organization with that. But I because of the whole what Brandon's been talking about, like 
Yesterday felt like the first day of the rebuild, truly. Brandon and I, and I think Cap agreed to some extent that Lovey is a bridge coach, that I'm looking at Casario as someone who has uh, more longevity here than being a short-timer based on results in the next two years. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I've said already that, you know, it, it's just hard to really answer questions about accountability because we don't, as far as like the brass is concerned, because we just don't know how accountability works up there. Um, Cap, I, I completely understand your head in the sand approach on Easterby uh, because I, I feel like a lot of people like that, that to me, you know, I know we have a lot of fans in here right now. That to me reflects sort of a lot of the sentiment of the fan base. So you're either on one side or the other. You're either like obsessed with Easterby or like you're so tired of them that, you know, you're just like nauseated by the discussion of Easterby. And I, and I get, I actually get both sides of that, like both extremes of that. I would just say kind of just to keep in mind that the whole Easterby thing, like what makes that a thing is a very like personal element that, that is non-scientific and hard for us to really get a grasp for. And I think it's just hard to speak to because of that, like the connection there and like Easterby's sort of, sort of a uh, uh, draw is, is the whole personal thing. And so sort of that personal pull that he's got on Cal McNair. So like, as long as that's a, a factor, I don't know. I don't know how much that is really worth discussing because there's nothing that, that anybody can really do about that. Yeah. And so, uh, so that, so that, that's that. And then I would just co-sign what you said, Cap. I mean, you know better about the numbers as far as like what makes sense for Laramie Tunsil. I do. My commentary on that would just be that it's hard for me to imagine given how, like one thing, I wonder is, has he privately at some point, you know, whether during the season or since, has he privately requested a trade? Like, I, like, I don't know, like, that's not out there or anything, but I, I do wonder. Well, the fact that he doesn't have an agent just makes it hard for anything to leak out. <laughs> so, enough. I mean, as somebody, we're talking directly to him, but I, I haven't heard anything. He's, he's got a crew, though. He's got a crew. He does have and, a crew. And, and, and he's got a crew that's, that's friendly with some of our, our local media as well. Not, yeah. not me necessarily, but but I've seen interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard anything specifically myself on his, where he's at with the team. If, if he wants out or if he's fine to, to come in and, and cash his check and, and do his job and, and be here for whatever, however many year or years it is. So I haven't heard anything on that front. I think at this point, we just have to kind of just wait and see what the team does. So. Yeah. And then, and then just my, my other point on it was, you know, that, that, that's my question. And then my other point on it was just that it's hard for me to imagine that, you know, a, a team that's talking about, you know, team, team, team and, and culture and putting the team first and all of this kind of kind of narrative. Um, and I wouldn't blame him for doing it because Tunsil's a hell of a player, but it's hard for me to, to reckon that uh, to reconcile that with, you know, him basically kind of quitting on the team last year. <laughs> so so I, I, I just it's just hard for me to even imagine him being like being here with them as they try to like do this honestly, like it, it would, it would be awkward to me to, to see it. Maybe the lovey hire, maybe the lovey hire changes things for him. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, Chuck, you got anything else, man? Yeah. One last thing. Um, uh, Cap friendly quarterbacks for next year for a backup. And I appreciate it guys. Thank you. Cap friendly quarterbacks. Let me look at free agents quarterback. Well, Bridgewater knows he's uh, Bridgewater is going to ask for a lot of money. I'm not entirely sure he's going to get it. 
Who I think, the hell is I? I love Teddy, but who the hell is going to give him a lot of money? Dear I don't God, know. I don't know. Maybe his agent was speaking out of turn, but I think Mariota, Mitchell Trubinsky, um, Winston might make a little bit of money out there. Andy Dalton, ugh. um, I think those are kind of your upper tier backup. I think, I think more. Honestly, I think Mariota would make a lot of sense. I don't know what his thought is, but like. He's been a backup now for Derek Carr for two years, and he was previously the number two overall pick in the draft. Like, this would be a situation where he could be a backup, but like he could theoretically resurrect his career. There is a lot of physical talent there. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Trubinsky and Mariota are probably the top two upper tier backup backup type quarterbacks out there, and then it kind of drops down another level. So. You know, I don't know what Chuck's definition of definition is of um, of cheap, but you know that you know backup quarterbacks, good backup quarterbacks, are in that three to four, five million, three or four million dollars a year range. So that would be my they take. Gave five, on that. They, they gave five. They gave five to Tyrod, right? It was five million or five and a half. Five and a half with about another six in incentives, but he didn't reach any of it. Right. All right. Let's see here. We had Ferris next up. So, we got a lot of Mike and Brandon. Y'all doing good on time? We're already at ten. I am. I'm just relaxing here. Yes. Outstanding. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm just fine. Other than the fact that sometimes I'm gonna have to dip out and come back in just so I can hear the. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm. I'll keep, keep an eye on that. All right. So we'll swing it over to Ferris. Ferris, good evening. Take yourself off mute, sir. Here we go. Sorry, my bad. No Good problem. evening, everyone. All right, so I got three things to say. I'm a diehard Texans fan, and all I have to tell everyone is Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien needs to be needs to be charged. He needs to be accounted for. This guy took our franchise <laughs> and threw it in the goddamn garbage. This guy's a fucking terrorist to Texans fans. We had we would be in the Super Bowl right now. Hopkins. We had Deshaun. I don't. I, I bet Bill O'Brien was behind the whole Deshaun allegation. This guy was a menace. I tell you, Texans fans. That's all I have to say. Do you uh, agree? With me? I I I, well, I, 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 <laughs> I I I I the last part I disagree with. I don't think he was even related to the Watson stuff. But he he that definitely. Was just, that was just a little exaggeration. I know, I'm but he but as for what happened with with the organization and his two year stint of having roster heavy roster control, especially as a GM. Yes. He, he put this, he put the roster back at least three years, if not more, he put the, the cap situation in a horrible spot. He traded away quality players with little return. He gave, but the thing is- he gave horrible con- – he overvalued contracts because he wanted to be a good guy and give the players what they're worth in a player's mind. I think not that's, a, not that's a- being too kind. I think that's, yeah, that's being too, too kind. kind. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, this guy, this guy right here, like if you gave my six-year-old cousin Madden and put the Texans on franchise, he would do a better job than this guy. This guy, how, who upgraded this guy? Like trading Hopkins for an injured running back? What, like what brain, like how does yeah. your brain work to make that call? Like you <laughs> it, gotta be a different That's type. what I'm you saying. He, he, he felt like he was so smart that he was doing the right thing. And so. But like it's not even about smart. It's about like. 
does your brain work? Do you, like, are you okay mentally? He should have been tested after this. <laughs> like, this was not something like, like, like any, like my 10 year old little cousin would know not to do this, let alone our fucking coach. Like, come on, man. You know how much that hurts me? Like, that, that I will never let that go. That's just, I'm going to tell my kids about that someday. Now I get to, I, I, now I, I, put, I, now I get to put the E label on this one. I think uh, I have a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, I would pay money to have a video and audio recording of Bill O'Brien's interview with the Jacksonville Jaguars because by all accounts, that interview did not go well. <laughs> and I, I imagine that they were asking him a whole lot of questions about like, hey, what the hell went down in Houston and what the hell were you thinking? I would love to like post that interview just to get everybody's reaction to his answer. Because I, I think while Ferris communicates his point in a, in a very unique way, I think I think it's true. Like, these things that O'Brien were doing, like, this is what a crazy person would do. Like, someone with a fundamental lack of understanding of how NFL football actually works. Yeah, and I, I was going to say something. Now Cap, just compl- Cap, those kids in the Tulane competition would run an NFL team better than Bill O'Brien would from a salary cap standpoint. There's no, there's no, argument. they would, they, like, they, no they, they would have ran over him in a contract negotiation. He would have, he would have given Devonte Adams $30 million in that last negotiation. Absolutely. So, but well, for the Jacksonville interview. So it's funny because the, the store, the rumor was, is he was, he was, he came in, he came to that meeting. Like, so what's it like living in Jacksonville? Where should I buy my house? You know, like, he like really was confident that the job was his when he walked in the door and they were like, hold on there, man. Let's, let's get into some discussions. And from there it did not go very well. So Ferris, I appreciate it, buddy. We're going to move on. All right. Who was up next? I know Neil was waiting. So we got Neil Taylor, Sanchez, Tony and Sugarland. Try to get to as many of these we can before, we hit my bedtime. Neil. Hey, good evening, guys. Good evening. Uh, a point about Nick and then a conspiracy theory question for you guys. I'm really enjoying the, the chat tonight. You know, I think rightfully so, Nick's received a lot of criticism for basically two terrible coaching searches in his first two years as GM. Um, I mean, even the, the point, so you bring in Cully, and if you really want us to believe that Lovey was the guy, you paid David Cully $22 million for a year and then said, have a good life. Nobody's buying that. Um, but the point is, I think he people are starting to project that, you know, maybe Nick's not great at some other areas of his job. I'm looking forward to what he can do with the draft and the capital that he's accumulated and hopefully will continue to build. I really think the point is, though, I don't really see or hear of anybody in the building that can act as a mentor to him, you know, like in any executive position – the guy's not perfect, right? So he's obviously uh, swung and missed a little bit with the coaching searches, but I don't really see anybody there that's kind of helping him bridge over that troubled water. And then the the wild question I have is, is it at all possible, and what do you guys think, that last week when the Flores suit comes out, maybe the league office calls down and said, hey, you know, we're hearing McCown's your guy. That's not a good look for us. But if you happen to move away from that and go a different direction. Yeah. Maybe there's a chance that we put the word out when the time comes that Watson's not going to be suspended and you guys can max the value. You guys think there's any possibility that that's true? 
I don't know if it would be at that level of quid quid pro pro. I can't even say it correctly, but the exchange. Quid pro pro. Yeah, that. So, <laughs> so I. It wouldn't shock me at all if the league made a phone call and just expressed some thoughts and concerns. I I don't think that think that they would given any directive to the team, and I don't think there would have been any exchanges. At least I would hope not. If that's the case, then the league is just rotten. So I I don't know that it got to that level, but it would not shock me at all if the team, if the league at least made a courtesy call and expressed their concerns on the matter. And you know, one of those were like, we would really like to see you go this direction. You have, you know, and maybe that's maybe that's what helped the team kind of pivot towards Lovey Smith over the weekend. But as for your other thoughts on Casario, I mean, I think I think. Most fans are excited to have a, a full draft slate. I think most, you know, I think everybody is ready to move on from Watson and, and try to get that behind us and get more draft compensation. And I think that compared to the the number of number first round draft picks this organization has had in the last four or five years, I think this is probably the first time that the fan base is truly excited for the draft not only just for the first round, but just the full slate of picks and then what's going to happen in free agency. And I, you know, I, I think everybody's excited for it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I get, you know, so there are some Twitter accounts floating out there who seem like they're like really big Nick Casario accounts in sort of like an interesting way that makes you think. And listen, I think Nick's a very accomplished football executive. Um, I think he's the one guy of the Texans power structure minus maybe Pep Hamilton that like if they lost their job, he would probably find a way to get a a similar or equivalent job. Um, But I think at times like the people who are like really high on Nick, it's like they act like he is like this superstar who's going to like be able to change everything and like do all these things on his own. And I think that is incredibly difficult to accomplish. Um, I understand that he had a, a pretty solid promising draft last year. I would also point out that, if you study successful NFL organizations, like it's really hard to hit on your picks, you know, year after year after year, time after time after time. Like Nick Casario is going to miss on draft picks here. Uh, Belichick's missed on a ton of picks. Uh, John Schneider's missed on a ton of picks. Like Nick Casario will miss on picks, and that's why getting more of them is going to be uh, important. I just my big thing with this offseason is I want a different offseason than the one we had last year. I want I, I want to – I'd rather have, like, a clear-the-deck situation. Like, I want no dead money in 2023, or at least as little as humanly possible, uh, given the Tunsil-Watson situations. And I want to add some interesting players in free agency. I don't want to bring in, like, a, a gaggle of, like, you know, 30 guys on one-year deals again. I want it to be more targeted and more of, like, a, a normal process in a true rebuild. Well, they have a million roster spots to fill, so – I think we might see another 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 batch of one and two year deals, but I think you might see another two or three contracts sprinkled in there that might be more considered wave two type free agents, not the top of the market, but you know strong free agent signings. So we'll see what happens there. Neil, hopefully that answers your questions. You got anything else before we move on? No, that's it, guys. I appreciate it. Have a yes, good night. Sir. You too. All right, Taylor, T-Brad, 54. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right, well, two thoughts. Uh, First one on Lovey. I think 
more than likely his contract, who knows how long it is, but it's probably three or four years. Man's almost 64. So best case scenario, he's going to be here for another three or four years. He retires. He doesn't get fired. Best case scenario, he retires. And that gives Casario a nice little step-off point to hire the guy that he wants to. And additionally, you know, he gets um, he gets a, the, the franchise back to, like, say, 500. It makes it respectable again. makes it middle of the pack. Other teams will, you know, beat their heads against the wall and mess up. That's what they do, right? Some succeed, some don't, is what it is. Secondly, uh, just with the draft, hopefully they can move Tunsil, you know, uh, maybe throw in a third. So uh, Tunsil in a third for maybe a mid to late first. Uh, Deshaun Watson stuff gets figured out. You know, they get a couple first there. All of a sudden you have three or four, you know, draft picks just this year and say the top 50 or the top 60 you get maybe you know another five or six starters on the field uh, on top of the five that they had last year all of a sudden you got 11 or 12 just through the draft that's 20 percent of your roster and you know this thing's moving in the right direction um i just wanted to see what you guys think though well, I think I appreciate the the optimism. I, I think that would be the absolute best case scenario to have that type of return on the draft, no matter even if with the extra amount, the extra pick. So, I I'd almost want to say that the draft class that we saw this year and how they performed is almost an anomaly. You know, and for it, you know, the teams that we that you see that make dramatic turnarounds from their draft classes, like with the Bengals. Uh, and the New Orleans Saints had a humongous draft class about four years ago that just yielded a ton of return. And so can Casario replicate the success from 2021 and the 2022 draft? It's, it's like you mentioned, it's very hard to do. And at this point, you just want as many, as many darts at the board that you can get. And that's why I feel like that number three pick is going to be, he's going to move back. I wouldn't be surprised to see him move back twice in the first round and end up picking around pick, you know, 12 or 11 or 10 or 15 and just accumulate more and more picks, whether they're additional back of the draft picks and extra first round uh, future picks. Because as we see with variation, you saw it with Seattle and the, and the Jets. You saw it with Houston when they traded for Tunsil. They thought those picks were going to be back, back of the first round picks and end up being in the top five. So, I think he's going to lean on the very on on the variation that you might see on future picks and just accumulate as much young capital as he can and he's going to use the free agent the free agent market to supplement that with more more one one year contracts with you know like I said sprinkled in maybe you see a a a good guard because this is a very strong uh free agent class for the offensive guards Maybe he signs a, a quality guard to a four-year deal or something like that, but that's just kind of how I foresee things going. Yeah, as far as the draft goes, um, typically I wouldn't say this, but I, I think the state of the Texans roster is such that if I was Nick Casario, I'd really be prioritizing, and I know that some people disagree with the premise of this, uh, I'd be prioritizing guys who he feels like are relatively safe picks. Um, guys who have a high floor, maybe not like uh, maybe not in, maybe not not in like the highest ceiling, and I was thinking about this because, you know, I saw in Lance Zerline's latest mock uh, that he had Derek Stingley going to Houston if they stay at three. And listen, you know, yeah. Derek Stingley was a was yeah. a guy who was a five-star coming out, 
He was great in 2019. Like, I don't know that, that the Houston Texans, even if he might be the best cornerback in this draft one day, given the state of this roster, this guy's been injured for the last two years. Like, I don't know if I can take a risk on somebody like that because I just think they desperately need, like, hits on quality above average players early in these drafts. No, I can dig that. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's it would be great to have that huge top of the tier athlete, but like you said, they have so many holes, so many errors to address. Yeah, getting, and, and that, getting quality that, players versus taking a shot in the dark at someone like Stingley, which I'm against. I, I agree with you, Mike. Well, and, and I, I just think I don't have much to add to that. I just think that all, all the more reason why I'm much more fascinated by them trading back and getting multiple players because we as we know uh, i'm not breaking any news here like this is a not a top heavy draft but has you know a a decent amount of depth in it and so this this is a good draft to have multiple first round picks in or multiple picks in whatever round you know to to sort of shuffle the deck a little bit and we've seen just based off of nick serio's like brief track record here that you know he loves to trade picks so, so I, I'm really interested just to see how he how he moves and how he navigates and just in this draft alone, uh, much less going forward. And and I would just kind of co-sign some of what y'all said about, especially Mike, what you said earlier about, you know, not wanting to bring in all of these ragtag like 30, 40, however many different free agents, like have some direction with with that area of player acquisition as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see how all of that comes together in year two. All right, Taylor, you got anything else, sir? I guess that's a no. All right, we'll move on. I didn't know if it was me not hearing it again. Or what. <laughs> All right, so we got Tony and then uh, Sanchez and and Timbo. So we'll see. Tony and Sugarland. Go ahead, sir. Take yourself off mute. Thank you guys for giving me an opportunity. Yeah. To speak. Uh, just wanted just wanted to say a couple things real quickly. And I don't know if you guys have uh, mentioned this tonight, but uh, I was uh, listening to Lovey Smith um, speak tonight, and they asked him a question well, earlier today, and asked him a question about Deshaun Watson. And I'm gonna tell you something. This is this is the first time doing this whole Deshaun Watson debacle. Has anybody ever said anything? Related to the Sean Watson situation that made you feel one way or the other, whether you were, you know, whether you felt like you should go or should stay, that made sense. You know, the, the, I mean, just the, the, the very first time I'm talking about well, with anybody, whether it was Nick Casario, whether it was, you know, um, David Culler, whomever, you know, if, you know, for the guy to just say, you know, that's, you know, the Sean Watson situation or, you know, take care of itself was just, it was just perfect. It wasn't, you know, the guy didn't, Mixed words. He, you know, he 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 was very calm with it. Very, you know, very straight to the point with it. And I think that's what the Texans need right now in the state they're in right now. They need somebody with some straight answers. You know, not you know, not all of the you know the the, the answers that quite frankly you know you're going to get that clearly shows that they are trying to you know evade the question. But even if it is an, an evasion of the question, it's a smart one. It's a you know, it, it's and one that makes you feel like, hmm, okay, that makes sense. So I'm 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 glad that the Texans do have that type of leadership as it relates to uh, you know, their their, their you know, their football team. And then secondly, um I you know, I don't you know, I heard you guys talking about a lot of the 
a lot of the drafts and and and, and uh, Nick Casario missing on some things. He's going to miss on some things. My my problem with Nick Casario is not so much of the fact that you know he's going to miss on some things. You know, my problem with Nick Casario is that I don't really know if Nick Casario himself is literally the person in charge. I, I, I'm I'm just still not sold. I still think that there is some underlining, you know, undermining, you know, direction from uh, Jack Easterby that I think will cause problems. You know, in the near, you know, in the near future, or somewhere down the line, even if it's in a draft pick, or even if it's with, you know, um, picking a player uh, in free agency because of what he thinks, you know, should be, you know, a, a, a type of guy outside of what's on the field. So, uh, you know, until until Jack Easterby is not in the building, I know we we talked about that before, but until Jack Easterby is not in the building, where well, we are sure this guy is not making decisions, I think the Texans are still you know, um, office wise in a bad way. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a fair take. And to, to your first part about Lovey and how he answered that question. I mean, a, he's obviously a pro at, at, at the podium and can speak well. And that's kind of what we were talking about in the beginning, that he exudes that confidence. He projects sincerity, honesty without the, without the babble and the, the, the coach speak. I mean, it, there's times where you get, or there's times where they'll have to kind of evade a question, but he seems to do it in a purposeful way in a respectful way and not just completely avoiding the question. So, you know, that that's a great point, Tony. I think that's what we, I think we all kind of agree with that. And then as for the Easterby part, you know, it until, like you said, until he's either gone or something, he makes public statements or the team really clarifies his position that that's always going to be in the back of, of every fan's mind. Nick Casario can come out and say over and over and over that he can, he has the last say on all the roster and, and, and that may be the case, but at until something else changes, that's always going to be in the back of fans minds. I, I, I think that, so for, first of all, <laughs> Real quick on the Deshaun Watson question thing, like I actually didn't hear his NFL Network interview or how he answered it, but yeah, but I need I, to go I, back I and say, listen to that. I, I will say though, at this point, like since the season's over and we're at this point now, um, I, there isn't much of a question. Like the only thing left to happen now is just for them to to, to, to trade him, you know, um, or or like just for whatever the resolution is. I think in season or or earlier. The, the the question that I feel like they never answered, or I know that they never answered publicly, was why exactly he didn't play. Was it because he refused or because they didn't, because they decided? Like, that was never publicly clear. I think everybody kind of has their own feeling and idea and even some intel on, on, on what's going on there. But it was never just like, they were never publicly transparent about that. And so, like, that that's the lingering question. And, you know, the season's over now. So, like, it's... It's kind of kind of moved water under the bridge for me at this point on that. Um, but as far as Easterby goes, I, I will say this much about that whole power dynamic: I would be shocked, shocked if it was if if the truth was that like Jack Easterby had any kind of veto power over Nick Casario when it came to player player acquisitions or any kind of transactions, whether that's draft picks, trades, free agent signings. Like if if Jack Easterby has veto power over Nick Casario when it comes to those personnel moves, 
that part would actually surprise me. I do not think that that's the case. I think that the sort of the power dynamic goes a little bit beyond that as far as just like his influence on Cal McNair. But if that were the case, that like that scenario, doomsday scenario where he does have veto power over Nick Casario, that would be a Cal McNair issue. Like you can you can take your your, your frustrations out on Jack Easterby and he's been very much an, uh, an easy target for us for the last couple of years. But if that part of it is true, that's something that Cal McNair would be allowing and and would be an issue with, uh, of course, the guy that, that can't be fired, but but would need to, like, the accountability there or the frustration, at least for me, would lie with Cal McNair for allowing such a thing. You know, you bring in a, a supposedly competent and accomplished uh, personnel guy to run your personnel and then to allow somebody that you have, you know, more of a personal relationship that you're, that you're letting – maybe do the CEO type of things that you don't want to do. Like, that's what I think Jack Easterby actually is. And I, I've said this before. I think that what he's always been, because he talks about servant leadership and, you know, and doing the next right thing. And I think what he what he's always really tried to be is like the guy who does the things that the that the that the other guy in power doesn't want to do or or, you know, maybe maybe the things that he specifically wants to do but but definitely the the things that they don't want to do you know bill o'brien's the coach doesn't want to do gm things all right jack easterby's gonna do it you know cal mcnair is the ceo there's some ceo things he might not want to do jack easterby's gonna do it like that that's kind of how i view the relationship dynamic i would be very surprised if the case was that jack easterby had any kind of veto power in personnel yeah that that would that would surprise me as well i, I think that in relation to the uh, to, to Tony's point, uh, I'm not so much concerned about Jack and personnel relative to like draft picks or most free agents. I, I just think that the Texans' overall power struggle structure creates a situation where look at their candidate list this year for head coach. Look at it last year; like it's not strong compared to the other teams. Like you line up, no offense to Lovey, but like I'm guessing there's a lot more. You know, people are pretty fired up about some of these coaches that were hired, like McDaniel or Dable in New York, some of these guys. And I think it's the case that there are a number of guys who the Texans reach out to who probably aren't really huge fans of the power structure here who wouldn't even want to interview for the head coaching job. And so I don't think that Jack Easterby has veto power over a head coach or certainly a player in free agency or the draft. But I think that there are a number of head coaching candidates around the league who look at this setup and say, yeah, I have no interest in that. If they interview, I'm gonna. If they want me to interview, I'm gonna tell them no. Or more likely, I'm gonna back channel it to them and say, "Hey, like I'm not interested in this job. If you guys want want to inter- want to interview me." All right. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. Uh, before we get to his last two questions, I did get one on uh, Twitter DM from Bezel. What are your thoughts on the staff hire so far? So, I, I think I'm trying to sit back and and wait approach this time because last year I got all excited about James camp and, and it just, we saw how that turned out. So this year I'm going to kind of reserve judgment and, and see what happens with, with the coaches. I mean, it, you know, Warhop has an extensive history. He's been multiple teams dating back to the nineties. So we'll see if that works out. Um, honestly, just, I, I don't know the rest of the way with the other coaches, if they're good or bad. I just don't dive into to coaches at, at that level. Um, and who do I like is potential wide receiver coach. Hein Ward sounds like a fan favorite prediction. Yeah, that would, that'd be cool. Heinz Ward. 
I mean, if he's he's already gotten a little coaching work going down in, in the college land, so if that's the case and he's a, a good candidate, then bring it on. Who else would be the option? I honestly don't know. I just don't just don't track. I don't really look into that the that type that type of coaches to give you a good answer on that. So I'm sorry I can't answer it any better, Bezel. Uh, let's see here. We'll jump over to so we'll do GM Sanchez and Timbo Slice, and then we'll probably shut it down after that. All right, GM Sanchez. What's going on? How's it going? It's going great. Um, I got two questions. Okay. Um, the first would be, let's say we do trade Deshaun and Tunzel and we get extra draft picks. Is there a specific um, group that you would look at us focusing on drafting, whether it's O-line, defensive line, secondary skill players, um, with the notion that, in 2023, we should have more cap space. And then the second question is, would you be willing, since we have those extra draft picks, to take a shot in the second round on one of the quarterbacks if they were to fall, like Strong, uh, Ritter, or how? So to the first part of the question, it's just a straight-up yes to any position. I don't think you can say no to any position group when it comes to this draft in the first three rounds. I think they're all, every single spot on this roster is ready for an upgrade. Maybe tackles about the only place if, if Tunsil, if Tunsil wasn't traded in your scenario, he was traded. So that spot would need additional work beyond Howard and, and Charlie Heck. So any position is ready for an upgrade. And then your, uh, what was the second part of that question? I've already forgotten. It was about, um, it was about the second round. Would they take a chance on a quarterback like Ritter or Howell, um, and, or Carson? Strong? I, I, mean, it, I think you you almost have to. I mean, I, yeah, I'm kind of torn. I'm, on that. I, I I'm totally kind of torn. I'm kind of torn on it. I you know? disagree. I, I yeah. Now that I'm thinking of myself, I probably answered that too quickly. I mean, I. We saw. I don't know that any of them would bring any more value than what Davis Mills has, and that's probably just going to create more competition, less reps for for Mills versus the other guy. And I just don't know that there's a chance of one of those guys being any better than what Mills could be. So uh, to me, it's almost like a, a Davis Mills is going to be the hill that you're going to die on at this point. You know, you just bring in another veteran to. Uh, to compete and help teach and then just give it all to Mills and let him, it's going to be trial by fire and just let him take it all. And either the team's going to, he's going to progress and take that next step or it's going to be really bad. And the team's going to have, have to draft their next guy in the, in the following draft, which today looks like a much better draft class for quarterbacks than it does this year. And we all know things can change over years, but I, I, Mike, I, I would agree. I think at my first response was inaccurate. I think yeah. I would, yeah. I think I would hold off on that. I think there's too many roster spots to address versus taking another quarterback. So yeah, th- this to me, this to me is a flat no. Uh, I don't love any of the three specifically. Um, to me, like I, I just, I, I, it's too much of a premium draft pick. And like, if you were to come in, come to me and say, "Hey, what happens if Nick Casario fell in love with Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis?" Well, that's a real conversation right there. I think a second round pick on one of those guys. No, I think that's I think that's redundant with what they have. In, yeah. In regard- so, 
Oh, go, ahead. Go, 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 no, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Uh, in regards to the first question, I guess it was more of, is there a specific group that you would want the Texans to focus on drafting, whether it's D-line, O-line, secondary, skill positions, more than more than the, more than the entire roster? Well, then the it's the, okay. Then that, then that, then that would be offensive line, guard at all guard. five, all five spots. Yeah, guard for sure. Guard number edge, one, guard, and then edge rusher and cornerback. That that's easiest. The three highest position values outside of a quarterback for me, and that's where, especially guard, like like Brandon's saying, if the team's going to accumulate extra picks, especially on on day two or day three, you can probably find uh, from what. Initial my initial read on some reports is the guard class in the in the draft is is looks fairly decent and like I mentioned earlier the the guard class in the free agent group is fairly good too compared to years past so I think I think there is an opportunity to do some real damage and I say damage in a good way at rebuilding this this offensive line and and just more more dots more darts at the board and draft draft all the offensive linemen you can draw it and find the best ones hey, hey cap can i can i ask something real quick about the quarterback question yeah because i i thought it was kind of an interesting one so like this isn't an exact science but just more of a just logic for me like if, if like if the quarterback doesn't have like if you don't think his ceiling is higher than davis mills then what are we doing like what like it's a waste of time i think uh, you know unless it's like you know, far later than the second round, let's say like late, late, late. But like, if you don't, if you don't feel like the guy's ceiling is Davis Mills, then there's no use in wasting your time. I am interested though. Like if they end up getting multiple picks and, and like being somewhere later in the draft, you know, like later in the, in the round, like if, and if like where Malik Willis is, where, where exactly he falls and where they, you know, end up trading back into the first round if that's something that they might be interested in and, and, and I'm not necessarily interested in it, but, uh, but I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea more so than anything. I'm not sure Malik Willis goes at the end of the first round. I bet he goes in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, I think it's just so hard to predict exactly. I've seen them. I've seen them mocked all over the first round. I hope he ends up, I hope he's a, a top 10 top eight guy. Cause if Casario can get out of number three and move back to like six or seven or eight, then he might be able to get some really strong value if, if somebody is wanting to come up for a quarterback. That's interesting. That's a, that's actually a very more that's a much more interesting way of looking at. It. I was more so like trying to figure out if they were, you know, interested in that. Yeah. You know, no, I, I got you. I got you. I, I, I thought that Casario was somewhat non-committal to him, you know, in that first press conference or whenever they fired Cully, and then it seemed like they were more so committed to him when they've talked, you know, in the last couple of days. I so. think that's Pep Hamilton effect is there as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, Sanchez, you got anything else, man? No, that was pretty much it. All right, thank you much. All right, so before we get to Tim, I did get another question on DM from uh, Richard Fernandez. Uh, do you, with the Lovey hire, do you believe that the Texans can retain Justin Reed? Can? Sure. Will? I highly doubt what is, it. What's his market cap? Like what? What is he worth? I have no idea. I think he's going to slot into that that nine to twelve million dollar range per year, and I don't think the Texans are going to value are going to place that same value on Reed as his market value. I think they would be 
I think they would more slide an offer across the table that would say seven or eight million per year with you know twelve or fourteen guaranteed. Whereas on the open market, he might be able to get ten or twelve a year with twenty guaranteed. So, and Justin Reed, I'm fully can fully agree that Justin Reed is a businessman. He knows that this league is a business, and he's going to go. Because this second contract is the biggest contract for any NFL player, so he's going to go where he can get the most money, and that's what he should do. Yeah. All right. Timbo, got to take us home, buddy. Go take yourself off mute. Yep. What's up, guys? Good evening, man. So um, I just want to uh, say uh, that y'all know that Lovey Smith was uh, Bobby Nair's choice before they – decidedly settled on bill o'brien right in a way this is yeah we did we just didn't we didn't we didn't touch on that but yeah he was he was a very much in the running for uh for 2014 when uh bill o'brien was hired so yeah thank you for bringing that up yeah and then like it just kind of seems like this is the first time i've actually as a texan spent a long time yeah, I think I think a I think a lot of many fans would agree with you, and and you know I I I kind of wear two hats. I, I wear the fan hat, and then I wear the the hat that tries to be unbiased and and analyze things. And my fan hat, I it feels like like Brandon said earlier, Mike said earlier, it feels like the rebuild is finally really starting. It feels like just last year was just a, a fade, a a fade of memory at this point. That just what the heck was that? I feel like. The team finally has some direction. I, it's, we still all know it's going to take a long time for this for this organization to get back to where they were two or three years ago, and it's going to take a long time to win back the fans. But I feel like finally they have some direction to get to that point. Yeah. Do you guys feel like we're going to be attacking that offensive line in the draft more so, or free agency more so? I think it's going to be everywhere. I think the draft for sure. I. I, they they they're gonna have to they need to allocate as many resources to the offensive line as they can to the trenches the the defensive line whether they bring back Malik Collins and and then try to draft another edge rusher because Jacob Martin I don't think is coming back at all I think they're completely misaligned on on contract evaluations from what I hear. So they need. Oh a, my God! How much does Jacob Martin want in free agency? My God. I haven't heard a number. I just was told they're <laughs> not near each other when it comes to to the numbers. So I think Jacob Martin will be moving on. So I, I, I'm very I'm much a terrible GM. I, I would tell Jacob Martin, like, dude, you make like eight plays a year. Like, like, stop, please. Well, he needs to go play on a three four system. He he's too yeah, small. He's too small for for a defensive end. I mean, he that's why he makes plays ever so often because his speed allows him to get around to tackle ever so often, but the other 80% of the time he's getting swallowed up on run plays and, and swallowed up on pass rush. So that's where, that's the reason why that happens. And so the team is going to have to allocate a lot of resources, to the offensive line and the defensive line. And that's where teams can really turn things around quickly. I think skill players, you can, you can, you can find on day two, day three and the free agency, but in the draft, I think you can really turn things around. With the, with the offensive line and the defensive line. Oh. And, and, and real quick, yeah. just to add to that, I would say this point's been made before, but just to reiterate that, like they need 
they need bargain, like bargain talent. Not 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 just cheap, but bargains. You know, like ta- talent for what you're getting, and, and you get that through the draft. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Speaking to that question. Yeah, you do not. Free agency is such a crapshoot, and you're the the chances of you winning on a free agent contract is very low, very low. I mean, I, I've got this as one of my one of my uh, things to write about is I wanted to go back and look at the 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 over the over the cap we have uh, player evaluations based on on APY and so I wanted to go look at the return APY versus the contract signed and see which teams really found value in the free agency and I can guarantee that number is going to come back very low so it's very rare that that happens so Brandon that's an excellent point. It's not very often that you get a, a Jonathan Joseph type sign, and they're more often like the Zach Fulton and the Jeff Allen signings. Exactly. How about, how about modeling? What, I know that this is going to be a very recency bias thing, but and you, Tim, you look at what Tim, the, you look, thanks for the question, Tim. You look at what the Bengals did, and I feel like what's—I mean, listen, this has been a miraculous run. They're probably fortunate to be here, but like I, I look at Cincinnati's approach here, and it's like. They just add pretty solid players that they feel are undervalued by the league. You know, they've added DJ Leader. They added Mike Hilton. They added uh, a Wouzier. I know that Henderson, Henderson was a bigger ticket signing. Yeah, that was a bigger ticket. Re- like, Reader was I, a big, I, big one, but yeah. Yeah, he was too, yeah. But it just seems to me like Cincinnati, even with that six-man scouting staff, like much easier said than done. But they're just adding like solid football players and guys who have played and been durable in other places. And there is something to be said for that. And it's, it's wild to see it too, because Cincinnati is generally one of the lowest cash spending teams and generally does not dive into the free agent market very much. So, yep. so that was, is good, good to see. And it's, I think it's good for the league to, to see somebody else in the Super Bowl. So with that, I think we're done with our questions an hour and 42 minutes. So that might be a new record. Um, Mike and Brandon, I appreciate y'all's time tonight. Thank you so much, Cap. I appreciate it. Yeah, Peace man. Always good the, talking to you. Yeah, these are always fun. Always good to be on with Mike. Uh, all, you know, I've been a fan of Mike for for years, and 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 glad to know him now. And, and Cap, man, you know I love being on with you too. Like I get smarter from being around you guys. So and, and the and the listeners as well. Like. I, I just I love all of it. So like this is cool. I, I I'll do this anytime. Yeah, no, it was fun tonight. And you know, just for for everybody's heads up, we got. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get back to the weekly show. Um, I've got some good hosts lined up for free agency towards the end of this month, right before the free agency period opens up in the middle of March. I've got two or three folks lined up for for draft for draft talk and then uh so we'll try to cover it all we'll try to get into some overall roster review probably the next uh the next hopefully the next show we'll kind of dive into the roster and what what the team can do with pending free agents and things like that and so we'll try to get back to it hopefully next tuesday night and uh i appreciate everybody we had upwards of 172 listeners i think was the highest point tonight so break another record there for us so you know excited to be back a little break was worth it and uh thanks for everybody's time keep an eye on your inboxes if you're if you're uh subscribing to my newsletter i think the next one comes out tomorrow morning and then uh we'll keep with that going as well so everybody have a wonderful night and with that we'll shut it down thank you